The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. So, so when the church talks about evangelism, usually it's under uh, the premise of this. Like we want you to go out and share the good news of Jesus because God has called us to do that as we're going to see in the passage today. But, but I need you to understand something. Um, I am not about building just this body up. So if you're here today, if you're visiting, I am super pumped that you're here. Um, my hope and my goal is that we would be faithful to talk about Jesus, share Jesus with others, but that we would realize what we are doing when we share the good news of Jesus, and that it wouldn't be about getting people into a building, but rather getting the people who are in this building out into a community. So we're going to read this very, very, very popular passage and then talk about it. Uh, Matthew verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. It's just a few verses. It'll be right up on the screen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I've preached this passage, I could not tell you how many times, between youth groups, college campuses, here even, and, and it's a very simple passage. There's a bookend. Jesus has all authority. Therefore, we go and we make disciples. A disciple is just another word for a learner of Jesus, a student, a follower of Jesus. So we, we follow Jesus. We get to know him. We walk in his ways, do what he did. And then we baptize them. So we, we make these learners of, of God and we baptize them. And baptism is the new identity. It's about being born again. You die to yourself. You raise in Christ. You have a new nature, a divine nature now within you. And then we go and we teach others. And we can do this because God is with us. Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. Now, I could just lay out a plan for you because this is what happens in churches. We lay out a plan. You know, think of the eight people you're closest to. Write them down on a list. We're going to go and share the good news. But that's, that's missing a huge, huge part of what it means to share the good news of Jesus. And, and I want to talk about it this way. Um, I've been desperate a few times in my life. Has anyone here had moments of complete desperation where you just like, you needed God to show up or life was not going to work out? Okay, I've had a few of those. And, um, and it changes the way that you pray. And let me give you an example. In 2010, I was uh, in the middle of, of going to start a new church plant and, um, and my mom got diagnosed with uh, cancer. And at the time, um, I, if I'm being honest, there's three boys in my family and of the three of us, I'm probably the most like the daughter that my mother never had, okay? Um, because I cry, like every time Mufasa dies, I'm like a wreck. I saw the greatest showman through a lens of tears and hope uh, this week. I mean, just, I'm a mess. And I, I get it, like, I was in choir, I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch, don't judge me. And um, so all these things, I understand, but, but my mom, she told everyone else except for me, like I was the last to tell, and I think it's because she knew, like, my emotions, like, puddle. And... Um, and I was in the middle of just trying to start this thing. And so I remember we were at her house, and this is in Carlsbad, San Diego area in California. And, and I walked in, and I could tell, like, something was wrong. And she said, ah, I've got cancer. And she had already told, like, my brothers knew, my stepdad. <clears throat> everyone knew except for me. <clears throat> and uh, I just shut down, like, in an instant. Just normal me, just shut down. I, didn't, I couldn't. I have my own word. I didn't have my own words to write. I had my Bible and my journal. I have these with me wherever I go. I literally just walked straight to the patio uh, like I was on autopilot. And I didn't 
even know what to write on my own. So I just, I opened the Bible, and I literally was just copying the Bible in my own handwriting. That's all I could even do. And just tears, and like, Amy would touch my back, and just, I've got nothing. So that was a moment for me where desperate prayer changed. Because I'd already been a pastor for a long time, and I pray for people, I love people. But man, there's something different when it becomes desperate. When the only prayer is, God, like, please, please. And, and I've had a few of those. And I think, by the looks on your faces, some of you have had a few of those moments where there's a desperation for God to do a miracle. There's another thing that I, I do. You know, one of the things about walking with God is that God will ask you to do things that are uncomfortable sometimes. We call it stretching you beyond your comfort zone. Uh, I remember the first time that God asked me to pray for someone in a wheelchair and this is in a public space. Like, that is freaky. But as a pastor, you're like, if I disobey God, like, do I get fired eventually? So, in Target, when I was a young man, God said, I want you to pray. I just felt it clear as day. Pray for that kid right there, that young boy. I'm like, I don't know him. This is weird. And, like, in our day and age, because of, like, all of the bad stuff that happens, like, you can't even touch kids anyway. So, like, do I talk to the parent? What do I do? So I walked up, and I, can I pray? And I pray. Man, I was like, Lord, please let this kid be a miracle healing. But it wasn't really for God. It was because I didn't want to look like an idiot. But I was desperate for the wrong reasons. You could have done that. That's perhaps true. And that, that may, brings me to my next question. A long time ago, I, um, I began, when I began my fascination with cemeteries, it was with another pastor, um, a well-known pastor, and we were talking about death often. And, um, and now I go to cemeteries all the time. But I've got this thought. Like, what if one day when I'm there, God just wants to show off, and he's like, yo, Tarona, I want you to pick a grave, any grave, and just say, get up, and I'm going to raise him from the dead. So, like, you're thinking, okay, A, this pastor needs therapy, probably true. B, um, why are you in cemeteries? Because it reminds me that life is short, and I want to be reminded of that, because we're, we're looking at an eternal life with an eternal God. But then I started thinking, like, okay, man. Um, it would be weird. And then, this is how my brain works. I apologize ahead of time. I, I think, like, who would you bring? Like, if God said, today you're going to go to a cemetery, you're going to raise one person from the dead. Who are you going to bring? Who are you going to bring? Like, are you going to bring the redneck that's got the bobcat thing? Are you going to bring, uh, here, here's who you wouldn't bring. Like, at churches, we do this thing, music, speaker, now, you, here's what you're not thinking. You're not thinking, okay, God said, go to the cemetery, raise someone from the dead. Who has the, all the tools that I need to get someone from death to life? I've got it. Ed Sheeran, great music. <laughs> Nobody's bringing Ed Sheeran. Like, I don't care if you fangirl or fanboyed out. I don't care if you're wearing an Ed Sheeran undershirt. Your, your first inclination is, well, he's talented, therefore, it might be good. Because what is he going to do? Is he going to, like, sing and dance over a grave? And then they're going to, no. You're not going to bring, like, a, a motivational speaker because you can't motivate, Tony Robbins cannot motivate a dead person out of the grave, right? Are we clear? Okay. Now, this is why I'm talking about this, because when we say evangelism in church, we think programs, we think structures, we think uh, lists, we think all of these things. What we don't understand so often in the church is that it's not about the branding, it's not about all of these other things. Salvation and coming to know God is referred to with words, descriptive words. One of them is being deaf, and now you hear. 
Another one is being blind, and now you see. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, and in other places, it's referred to as being spiritually dead. Just dead. And we are so caught up in this age of reading a passage like this and say, okay, Jesus has all authority, so now I'm going to make this plan, and we're going to we're going to evangelize people, and we're going to systematically do it, and that's how it's going to work because we're going to be polished, and everything's going to be perfect, and we're going to get them in the door. Now, for, for some of you who have come from other churches or if you've been around the church for a long while, you're going to realize why I have this angst in me because I've seen these, these programs that try to replace the Spirit of God. But if people are spiritually dead and they need spiritual life, it's not just about getting the band. Like, we're not going to say, okay, we're going to the graveyard today. We're going to, I love, I love the, the kids that sang up here today, but I don't know if their singing was good enough to raise the dead. I mean, Reed does a great job, but is she the one that you're picking when it's like, okay, we're going to go to the cemetery. God said, I need to pick one person. Reed, will you come play? I surrender all. Maybe Josh Groban, you raise me up, might do the trick. I mean, you're not going to bring the joking pastor. Like, you don't want to bring me with my jokes up there because I'm not going to make someone. There's no such, like, people laugh to death. They don't laugh to life. If you brought me, it'd be because I'm a pastor, but you wouldn't want me to be the goofy side of me, right? You don't want me going over to the cemetery being like, come on up, get on out, time to shout, shout. You'd you'd look at me like, idiot. The only reason you bring a pastor is because you'd be like, well, maybe you can talk to Jesus, right? Like, don't you do that? Uh, you mean you want me to just talk to Jesus and say, get out? I've been to enough cemeteries to know that I'm not going to try that one, ever. But what if God says, do it? Because this is what evangelism is. We use these church words. We have these church concepts. We want to brand and market and get everything perfect. But at the end of the day, the core of this whole thing is there is spiritual death, and then God says, Live, and then we live. It's a miracle. It's unexplainable. It's God moving in and colliding with somebody's life, and you say, well, don't we do anything? Is there anything that we do? John 6, 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all, zero help at all. I mean, this is incredible to think about this it, because I am still drawn to these things. We, we as modern day followers of Jesus, we're drawn and we're doing some of them. Like I'm not anti-events all the time. For example, we've got this March 3rd family festival coming up. We're going to have a, a gospel singing band. Damon's going to rap. Karina, one of the girls who was like right here, she's going to sing a song she wrote. And there's going to be uh, jumpies and stuff like that. It's to honor first responders. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, if we get a dunk tank with cops, we will pack this place out with all of our passive aggressive hatred of police officers for tickets. And I told one of the police officers here, I'm like, hey, dude, if we get a dunk tank, will you get in it? Because I'm game. I'll, be, I'll shell out some cash to, to get police officers back for all. Never mind. Okay. Um, but, but will that lead people to Jesus? We used to do this thing called Dogapalooza every year before I got here, and I canceled it. And people loved Dogapalooza. But my first question was, how many people do you know came to Jesus because of Dogapalooza? And it was always, well, nobody comes to Jesus. They just come to fertilize your lawn for free. And that's me being kind. Okay? I, I'm, I'm all good for dogs getting adopted, but do we have to throw a giant party where literally hundreds of dogs would just poop all over the property in order to lead someone to Jesus and then it never happens? So what do we do? We do it again. But 
I get it because we're drawn to these things. Even now, even at this at the chapel on, on March, the end of March, someone asked me, "Hey, we've got this uh, speaker. He speaks for Jesus. You might know him. He was the actor from the movie The Blind Side, the big guy that played Michael Orr, um, and he he wants to come speak at the chapel to the youth group." And in my little heart, I'm like, "Ooh, yeah," because you know. Nothing leads people to Jesus like the guy who played the guy about the guy telling them about Jesus. Because then kids would be like, well, it's the guy who played Michael Orr. And don't get me wrong, like, I'm for sure going to take a selfie with him because he's bigger than me, and I'm going to Photoshop Sandra Bullock's head and then be like, woo! Because our heart cares about these things for some weird reason. But it's not, like, are you calling him? If God says, go to a cemetery, raise a grave, your first thought is not, you know who I really need? I need the guy who played Michael Orr on fictional television. But that's what we do as churches. We, we think that these amazing events are going to manufacture, but the Bible is so clear it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh, our body, our physiology, our thinking. It's no help at all. We can manufacture people that look like Christians, but it's the equivalent of duct taping picked fruit back onto a tree. Eventually it rots and dies. Evangelism is one of the scariest things, right? If I say, go share your faith today, you'd be like, uh-uh, not me. And I'm not saying this to guilt you, but we, we talk about what we care about. And I have recent proof of this for me. Um, I, I went and saw The Greatest Showman. I was having kind of a grumpy day. It was on Friday. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to go see this movie. And... Um, and Amy's like, let's just go. We're all going to like it. We'll bring the boys. I'm like, okay. And for whatever reason, like, this is a movie about a circus guy, P.T. Barnum. And the very opening of the movie, it's like, boom. And then Wolverine, a.k.a. Hugh Jackman, turns around and just starts, like, singing a little ditty. And I don't know why, but, like, my eyelids got so heavy and sweaty. And they just stayed sweaty the whole movie. I mean, there's these songs about outcasts and, and just fighting against it when people push you down. And I'm like over just in this theater seat, just pent up with all my dad issues. Like, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then they sing and they dance. And some of you are like, I don't do musicals. They won't get me. This will get you. Like this movie will transport you to the 1800s. It will inspire you to pursue your dreams. And it will make you want to climb on elephants. Now, some of you are like, well, I might go see that. What I just did is evangelism. We're all evangelizing for something. We're all talking about something. Whether it's toward Jesus or not is the question. We all will naturally share what gives us joy so my question is, if you're not talking about Jesus, let's find out if there's no joy or if your joy has been quelched and diminished. If you've forgotten that you were dead and now you're alive because the desperate prayer that we need for salvation, whether it's for someone who does not know Jesus at all or whether it's for regions of our life that we've hid from God, that where we've harbored anger or depression or anxiety and we've said, God, you can have this part of me but not this. You're letting death reign in a part of you and God says, I've, I've come to bring life. This is why it's not so much about the programs. In, in John 15, Jesus says these amazing words, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. 
unless it abides in the vine. We have to be connected to Jesus. We can't just branch out on our own. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, verse 5. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. In the last part of verse 5, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet, we just are addicted to the shtick of doing church to draw people in. And I get it. I get it. I've been promising the guest services people, hey, I'm going to get this welcome bag made up for you. It's been like months. And they're like, we just need something to give to new people. I'm like, give them Jesus. But I get it. We're like, we're in the, we're in the burbs or whatever. So like, I wrote this little card. We're going to get them printed. I'm going to put little Cool Beans coffee cards in the back. And the, the card's just a letter that says, hey, we'd love to meet with you. If you have a prayer need, because I guess we have to do churchy things. But I'm like, they're dead people. People that don't want to pursue God. People that have no desire for God. And some of you may be thinking, wait, am I dead? Are you insulting me? No, I'm not insulting you. I was dead. And there are parts of me that still go back and they revert to that dead mode. The thing is this, it's a miracle of God, which is why instead of the programs, we have to start with prayer. Instead of saying, how can I manufacturally attach someone to a vine? We have to say, Jesus, you need to come down and graft this person in. Because anything else that we do is just duct taping branches to the living vine. And it looks okay for a while until something dies. So what are you saying, Ryan? Do we have nothing to do with this? Like, how do I do it? I'll tell you how we don't do it. If it involves connecting to Jesus, here's what you can't do. You can't connect to Jesus by virtue of how other people in your church family connect to Jesus. You don't connect to Jesus just because I love Jesus and I'm connected to Jesus and you come here and listen to me. That doesn't work that way. It's, it's you. You connect with Jesus. You connect with Jesus. You connect with Jesus in such a way that it's not about the podcasts or the sermons or the most amazing worship band. It's are you grafted in and are you part of this family? Right after this part in John 15, Jesus goes on to talk about what, what he wants for his followers. He says, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. Can you imagine if we had that sense of unity like the Father is unified to the Son? The eternal Father and the eternal Son who have loved each other for all of time. And Jesus says, I want them to love each other that way. The Bible says this, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So we, we pray desperately. When you have someone that doesn't yet know Jesus, the answer isn't to step in and say, I'm going to give you every argument. Because here's what I've done a hundred times at least. I, I will answer your questions. And I love, I love humans. I don't just love like people who are in the church and those outside the church. I'm like, forget you. I just love humans. So if you're here and you're a skeptic, I love skeptics. I will sit down with you. We will go to Cool Beans. We will open it and shut it down. I will answer any question you have. If you're like, hey, I want to talk about this. I have all these objections to Christianity. You know, if God's all, all good, all loving, all powerful, why do bad things happen? I will sit down with you. If you want to sit down and say, well, here's evolution science. Can you talk about that in the Bible? I will sit down with you. If you want to talk about why this thing happened to me, why it's so bad, why, 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 I will sit down and I will answer your questions. But you have to know that at the end of the day, life comes from the Spirit. I can answer a lot of questions. And if I can't answer questions, I can find people that can. But until you're at the point where you say, God, I'm, I'm dead. 
until you're at the point where someone is just labored down in prayer for you. I mean, with my kids, I just pray for them. I teach them things, and sometimes they do great, amazing things, and they have these brilliant thoughts. Other times, I don't get it. Like when my kids, like, we were talking about the Trinity because we talked about it recently, and, and they were like, well, Daddy, it's like an egg. And I was like, yeah, but no. And then he just scrambled the egg. I'm like, definitely not like that. But no, Jesus is cheese. I'm like, I don't see where you're going. You're not going to be the pastor. Just find a new vocation. <laughs> are, we, are we just pleading to God that we would be attached to Jesus? Because when we are, that's when things change. That's when we will love one another in a way that people will look at us and say, that's different. That's different. I don't, um, I struggle letting people in sometimes. So like for decades, pastors, we had this, um, we were kind of taught in seminary, like you have this shell around you and don't let people get too close. Like you don't want people to see the real you. They need to see you as like someone that they could emulate. If you emulate anything about me, just, I want you to emulate this. I am a train wreck daily and I daily run to the train fixer. I, I am a hot mess in Jesus says, I love that hot mess. He's mine. If you emulate anything about me, wake up with that statement on your lips. Lord, I'm a hot mess, and you love hot messes like me. That's it. Emulate that because the rest, the rest of this thing we do as pastors, we were taught to put up these things, these barriers. Don't let people in. I've let people in before. Man, it's hard when you let people in. You let people in, they can hurt you. You let someone in because if you've ever seen a vine, vines grow, and they, they tangle into each other. Although in the church, we kind of view vines more like Christmas trees. Like, here's Jesus, and here's me, and there's the person I don't like. They put them on the other side of the tree stump. No, but vines, they get tangled. It gets messy. I mean, I, I've let a few people in. And man, when they hurt you, whew, last year, I mean, I remember, like, clear as day. Uh, you let people in. You let your spouse in, your kids in. Get so mad. I mean, I, I, my, my favorite glass I had, and I got so mad. I, would, I threw it down the street. I felt like Tom Brady because it just shattered everywhere and hopes and dreams were lost before him. <sighs> I felt so good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I, I, I threw it. And, um, but here's the thing. I, I went back. And I'm not saying that so you could say, oh, if you can do it, I can do it. I'm saying I would not have gone back if Jesus had not come back for me over and over and over and over again and said, you're trying to run from me. I'm your vine. You're sticking. You're sticking. You're mine. I've got you. My love is colliding with you. It's not in me to go back. And we do this weird thing in church where we, we feel like it's like rose and then you look forward. I don't even like this model of church because it doesn't show us what we really are. We are family. Imagine with me the ridiculousness of what churches are now compared to being this one another love. Now we're like this. It's like, um, well, I didn't, you know, the music didn't like it. I'm going to go to this other church where they have music that's almost exactly like it. Or oh, I'm leaving because, you know, you said something, pastor, that offended me. I always tell people like, well, you should leave now because if I offended you once, it's bound to happen many times. I offend myself on the weekly and, and I'm, I'm 37 soon here, and um, every three to four years I look back at myself and I think, 32-year-old me was an idiot. And when I was 32, I looked back at 26-year-old me and I was like, that guy was an idiot. And I'm not so dumb that I don't 
think that like when I turn 40, it's not going to be like the magical number. I've arrived. I have Einstein's brain and the rock's body. Yes. Like I'm not, I know I'm going I'm to be an idiot, an idiot. And, and you're thinking, well, uh, I'm older. Don't worry. I've met many of you who are 50, 60, 70, and I know you and I've judged you. It's the same pattern for all of us. And if that went over your head, it's just deflate the pride a little bit and take it in. Take the shot in the chin. We're dumb. We need a savior. And, and this thing, this thing that we do of trying to pretend and not be loved, we get mad at pastors, we get mad at music, but put it in the context of a family. Let's just do that because we're family. So let's say hypothetically, let's just say hypothetically, there's a husband and a wife with three kids and one on the way. Hypothetical situation, not related to me at all. And let's say there are some members of this family, hypothetically, allegedly, who put the toilet paper on the wrong way. So in case you're wondering, it, it, it rolls forward, okay? This is proper toilet paper etiquette unless you're in a commercial building where there's sinners. Then you put it backward because you don't want to have to wrestle with the toilet paper like a WWE championship to get a strip of it out, okay? Um, so it goes, so what, let's say hypothetically this, this dad, per se, sees this toilet paper backwards and says, this is wrong. Flip it around. A week later, sees it there again. This is wrong. Flip it around. Who's putting the toilet paper on wrong? See it again next week. This is wrong. And week after week, day after day, this toilet paper is just on backwards. Now let's say one day the dad is just sick of it. He sees it the last time, backwards, wrong, facing toilet paper. And he just says, I'm out. And he leaves the family. You take care of your own toilet paper issues. I'm finding a new family. I'm out of here. You guys would look at that, pastor, I mean dad, hypothetically, and say, what are you doing? It's just toilet paper. I've seen this play out a hundred times. If you replace toilet paper with worship styles, you replace toilet paper with something else. And, and here's the part of the problem, though, is I don't think we've actually become family. It's hard to leave when people are really family. It's easy to leave when we have acquaintances. And I'm not saying you got to get in one of our groups, but I'm saying look around at someone near you that's not related to you and say, I need to do life with someone. And if you don't have anyone to connect to, there's like a sheet in your bulletin. You pull it out, you email, call a number. And it may not work out. You may, you may go to meet one of these groups. You're like, I need to find church family. And you may go there and say, these people are crazy. Good, call another one of the groups. Because some families are crazy. And by some, I mean all of us. But you need to find the group that's your kind of crazy that loves Jesus and stick with them. Go to the group where even though you get rip-roaringly mad, you say, I will always come back. I will never let go because God never let go of me. He always came back for me. This is what it means. And it doesn't have to be official. It could be the person next to you, like this family you just hang out with because your kids are the same age. Say, hey, can we just do like real life together, be real family together? And when I make you mad, you just... Have you seen those little memes going around on Facebook? Like, would you slap your sibling for a million dollars? And they just have that thing getting beat. Like, until someone is your sibling in the faith, just don't give up. Just keep looking. And it's hard. I've been, I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to let people in. I'm supposed to keep everyone alone. There's all, these, there's all these things that they say about people that lead things, like leadership is lonely. That's dumb. The best leader I know is Jesus. And he's the least lonely person in the existence of creation. So leadership should not be lonely. Being at the top, there's no such thing. Be together. God is at the top together with himself, Father, Son, Spirit. Evangelism has to start with this desperate notion of being connected to Jesus. 
So now I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Because our 2018 mission is to fill every street with the good news of Jesus. Fill every street with God's love. Whatever, just remember, fill every street. So here, here it is. And I know that some of you can do this. Um, I'm going to do an easy person and then a more difficult challenge. Easy challenge, it's just 10 for 10. And here's what that means. For 10 days in a row, walk outside of your front door and pray down and up your street for 10 minutes. Just praying. I don't want you to go dropping tracks on people that are corny. I don't want you to go like hide things. I just want you to walk up and down and pray. And if you don't know how to pray, you just walk up to the house. You say, God, I, I thank you for these neighbors. Lord, I don't know what they are, but they, we all need more life. We need, we need spiritual life within us because death tries to creep in. So, so bless this marriage. Bless those kids. And some of you, I know you know your neighbors. I know a lot of my neighbors. So when I go around my neighborhood, I'm going to be like, this kid needs Jesus, Lord, this kid needs Jesus, and God, this kid, and I know apples and trees, so I'll be like, and maybe their parents just put them on the list. I'm not going to do that. Some of the parents are here, but I like all the people that are here, okay, because you all got Jesus. No, but, but 10 for 10, now some of you are thinking, 10 minutes a day, got that covered. I know you do. I've seen your Fitbits. You walk like 20,000 steps in a day. That's like my month quota. Um, so, so for those of you who, who are like, okay, I, I do 10 for 10. I need to get outside more before it turns into like, a, you know, two degrees under hellfire temperature. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say 30 for 30. Like that's the varsity. And it doesn't matter. I don't care if you're junior varsity or varsity. I care that you play the game. And the game is this. Pray 30 minutes outside for 30 days in a row. And if you miss a day, just start again the next day. Don't say, I failed. That's it. Woe is me. Like build a habit and say for, for 30 days. I'm going to pray. And some of you, you already know. Some of you are in desperate mode right now. Some of you are going to walk around your block or your workplace, and it doesn't have to be consecutive. Maybe it's 15 minutes at home, 15 minutes at your work, judging all the cubicle buddies, whatever it is. I want you to pray. Some of you are going to literally just walk around begging God because you're in that desperate mode. God, save my kids. Be with my spouse. My spouse needs you. My husband, my wife, my whatever, my mother, my father, whatever. They need you. God, break in. And just pray. No I've got to figure out how to share the gospel. I've got to become a master of apologetics. I've got to get my master's degree in theology. None of that. Because it's, it's death. It's all around us. Churches across our country are filled with, with walking dead because we relied on something else to give them life. Some joke, some song. It's the Spirit of God. We must pray and pray. And when we think we've prayed enough, know that you've just begun and keep praying. Because when I go to that cemetery, I'm not, uh, I'm not like, hey, we're going to go raise the dead. Come on, re-in the gang. It sounds like cool in the gang. Come on, let's sing a song at the cemetery. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, God, I want to find the person who's so connected to you, they're just dripping with your presence. I want to find the person that can't let go of you. Because the Bible tells us how to pray. Jesus tells us a story. He said, if you want to know how to pray, Pray like this persistent widow who bugs the judge. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he literally said, bug God and then bug God and then keep pestering God. Just keep clawing on him. And if you've got kids, you know what that's like. And sometimes I give in. I'm a bad dad. My kids will, Daddy, can I have ice cream? And they're just whopping on my legs like a relentless tide of the ocean coming in and out. And eventually, after they bite me and claw and cry and scream, I'm like, just take the tub, go to your room and be done with it. And don't judge me. 
I know you all have done this, okay? I know every single parent in here has gotten to the point where you're like, just take the tub, don't tell mom or I'll kill you. You know, you just get out. Just visqueen the room and be free. I know we've all done that. God says, approach me that way. Just don't stop. I'm guilty of stopping. I don't want to be. This week, don't stop. Because God is our Father and He wants us to cling and to hold and to beg and to cry out with desperation. And as He wills, His Spirit collides with people's lives. There's no answer concrete. When Jesus was asked, He said, the Spirit moves like the wind. You don't know where it's coming, where it just goes. God goes. So don't try to put God in this box or this funnel. You pray and then let God be God. Let's pray together. Father, there is so much, um, there's so much that we need to learn about following you and walking with you. Um, Lord, we, we're not in the business of making marketing to get customers. God, this thing, this family that you've started, it's to see dead people come to life and then and then to, to have you reach into our lives where there are still areas of deadness, where we've let anger and lust and addiction reign. And God, then you bring those parts of us to life. I, I just can't, God, I can't, I can't stand it when I think that our cleverness or, or whatever it would be would, would be enough. God, it's you. It's always been you. It's all about you. Help us to never, ever, ever stray from this. God, no matter, no matter how big or how small this body gets, help us to always remember that it's all about you because of you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen.